Purchase Ford fans on all-you-can-eat ticket to an upcoming jazz game and receive unlimited hot dogs, soda, popcorn, nachos, and ice cream, starting as low as $37 per ticket. Visit utahjazz.com or call 325-2999 to buy your Ford fans on all-you-can-eat tickets now. Time to bring in Ben Anderson. You hear him on the Jazz Radio broadcast on the pre-half and post-game show. He is on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Ben, good morning. Good morning, guys. So, Ben, the Jazz suddenly can't stop anybody. They look like they're playing at two-thirds speed and everyone's zooming past them. What is going on? Uh, you know, David, actually, I think, I think you were the first person I saw really kind of pointed out. I think it was going back to the Dallas game uh, that they actually won here. It was a Saturday, what, maybe a month ago now, where Luka Doncic was just getting past every Jazz defender off the dribble without a screen. I mean, he was just getting into the paint anytime he wanted, especially in the first quarter. And I think that kind of opened something up for the rest of the NBA to realize, hey, the Jazz just don't have that guy on, on the perimeter that can stop you from penetrating. And every team basically since then has tried to find a way to attack that and has had success attacking it. And the Jazz, despite all the talk of, you know, the, the five-man small ball units that we've seen the Jazz playing, I really do think the majority of it or a lot of it still comes down to the Jazz not being able to get a stop at the point of attack. And I think that's, that's going to continue to be a problem until the Jazz can solve it. Okay, Ben. So let's just take the times that the Jazz were playoff teams, right? So what's it, we're going back uh... – three years in that time would you say so this would be the fourth year right so in those four years is this the worst defensive team they've had of the four yes definitely uh and it's almost difficult i mean yes because some of the personnel is just not very quick you know the jazz just don't have a ton of foot speed on the perimeter and they're forced to play on the perimeter and that's an issue and that was a question mark before the season also, the league has changed so significantly in those few years as far as their willingness to attack what the Jazz do well that they look even worse defensively during this stretch. Okay, because that's what I'm going to ask you. What is the difference then between those other four year, or other three years and now? That, that every team really can go five out. Basically every team. The Jazz are... And then, you know, the Jazz can do it too. They just haven't yet. Uh, and, and that's not to say, hey, they've got some center that they're hiding on the bench that can do it. No, you know, you have Boyan Bogdanovich, who if you have to play at the five, you play at the five. Because right now the Houston Rockets are playing uh, Robert Covington at the five or P.J. Tucker at the five. You know, they are playing strange players out of position, and they're not focusing on position anymore. I mean, it's just kind of an antiquated idea in the NBA. They're focusing on what skill sets do we have on the floor. Do we have a guy who can play a little bit of defense down low if we have to? And they say, yeah, it's Robert Covington. Uh, and, you know, and do you have enough shooting? Yeah, you can spread them out. And, you know, whether it was last night it was Dario Saric for the uh, – for the Suns, they felt like, hey, we've got enough shooting there. We don't necessarily need to have a big guy on the floor so or, or rely specifically on a point guard because even though he shot well last night, Ricky Rubio's not a great shooter. They start focusing more on what skills they're addressing or missing on the floor, and they trust that rather than just saying, hey, we don't have a guy who's over 6'8 or 6'9 on the floor. That's going to be a problem for us. So I think that's specifically what's changed. So I agree with some of the stuff you're saying, but the thing is that 
of these three games since the All-Star break, the best game they played was Houston. I thought they had three pretty good quarters in the Houston game. I thought they had one decent quarter in the Suns game, and I thought they had pretty much zero. (laughs) There was nothing good about the Spurs game. So when you look at that, it's like, well, they played the best against the team that has the most talent and the most success. So that means that a lot of this is in their mind. It's not X's and O's stuff on the court. Not that any of the analysis of the X's and O's are wrong. It's just not the primary issue right now. Are you buying that? I do think there's some, you know, they play to the quality of their opponent. I, I don't think that's, you know, all that difficult. That maybe they don't get up for the, for the games against San Antonio. And they probably walked into that game casually and then performed casually throughout and just were never able to flip that switch that I don't know if they assumed they were going to or not. And then I think Phoenix did the same thing. I think after they played pretty well, I think you're right against Houston. Maybe they said, okay, well, those were two bad games. Let's get rid of those. Now you get ready for a team in Phoenix who you can beat and are supposed to beat. And it's going to go back to that team that won 19 of 21 over teams like Houston, or I should say over teams like Phoenix. And that's who you're going to rely on. And you're just going to be able to beat them because you're more talented than they are. And I think that's why last night was so shocking for Jazz fans. It's because the Jazz are more talented. The Jazz had better rest. They were they had been at home. There was more urgency to snap this this losing streak, and they still weren't able to do it. I think that's what what felt specifically so jarring. So yeah, we had some folks saying, "Well, the media's got to be tougher in the questioning and blah blah blah." And we can say they suck a thousand times over because we just basically say what they do. They determine to a good extent as far as what we say, not ourselves. If they play well, we say they play well. If they play crappy, we say they play crappy. So to me, that's obvious. When Rather than debate that as far as how they played, because it's 0-3 coming out of the break is worst-case scenario as far as record-wise. Literally, you can't get any worse. So rather than just continue to beat that, what can happen over these next 26 games that allow them to improve to be in a position where they can go into the postseason with some kind of momentum? They do need to, and it's tough to do in 26 games, they do need to figure out some sort of an identity that, that will combat some of these things that, that opponents are doing to them. And, you know, if you're just going to rely on beating the Jazz on the perimeter because you can, you know, out-dribble them or, or simply beat them with speed, maybe the Jazz need to find a way to counter that. And I don't know if that's going to a small lineup where you have Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson and Royce O'Neal and, and Boyan Bogdanovich on the floor. And those are your five guys, and you say, well, we'll play – five out, every single one of those guys can shoot. With the exception of Royce O'Neal, every single one of those guys can create a shot. And if all those guys can create a shot, Royce O'Neal's going to get open looks from three and he's got to hit them like he was early in the season. But, you know, maybe that has to be your counter and you just have to say, we're willing to go not, not just as radical, but even more radical than some of the opponents that you're seeing right now. Because, you know, taking DeAndre Ayton off the floor uh, when you're a lottery-bound team and he was your number one pick who's you know, finally available for you and healthy and actually playing really well. And Monty Williams said, well, we're going to sit him for the, you know, basically the final two quarters uh, because we want to win this game more importantly than we want to develop DeAndre Ayton. That's a radical move. And Houston trading Clint Capella is a very radical move. Teams that are willing to do that have been able to beat the Jazz, and maybe the Jazz need to match that or not do it. And just say, if you want to be weird, we can be weird. And that was part of the idea, I think, of, of building this lineup and building this roster was to say, they need to be more versatile than they have been in years past. And they haven't really actually tested that, I think, as much as they probably can. And I understand why they don't want to. I understand that's probably a tough conversation to have with Rudy Gobert to say, hey, we think you're our best player and we think our best chance to win for stretches is by having you off the floor, even when 
it goes outside of your normal rest period. But you might just be past the idea of, hey, we've got to start catering to people's feelings or, or players' feelings if we want to actually be a team that can, can compete for a championship. I think that's the conversation Quinn Snyder has to have and, you know, the Jazz have to have. Okay, two things off that. Number one, I think you just made a drop. You want to be weird? We can be weird. That's a drop for Ben right there. Use that. Ben, you're going to be hearing yourself pretty much every hour now of every show. That's one. I'm excited. I thought you would be. And then uh, two, as long as you're going to do uh, weird, unusual stuff, I don't think this is as revolutionary as some of the other stuff, but we have seen Quinn start to use a zone. I think there are times it's been successful. How much zone do you think he can throw with people before they start to solve that? Is that something he's going to sit on and wait for the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I think you certainly can. I think it actually was pretty interesting against the Houston Rockets, and I don't think Quinn Snyder loves the idea that no. you're allowing teams to get certain shots, and actually decent shots. You know, you're allowing teams to shoot three-pointers, and that's very against what the Jazz defense tries to do. They want to take away the three and funnel you into Rudy Gobert because any shot through Rudy Gobert in the vicinity is a bad shot, but teams have clearly solved that. So uh, I think the zone might actually make some sense there. Uh, and also, if you're really still trying to funnel players into uh, Gobert or into mid-range shots, and you think those are your best looks, you can probably play you know, a zone that has Rudy Gobert patrolling the paint and then four guys on the perimeter that just switch everything. And that can negate some of that small size, and that can also negate some of the dribble penetration where you can just say, hey, we have two guys who can kind of trap at the top and two guys who are patrolling that, uh, you know, that, that free throw line extended over to, the, over to the true corner three. And you, have, you hope you have the speed uh, and the players that can fill those zones and take care of that. And if you beat them, you're either pulling up for a mid-range shot or you're going into Rudy Gobert to paint, and that's, that's up to you. Uh, and then you have to focus on making sure you're not getting beat backdoor, which is happening a lot right now with the Jazz. So there's some issues on top of that. But certainly there's some opportunities, I'm sure, scheme-wise that Quinn Snyder can and will play with that, uh, that we'll see. And we didn't even address the fact that he could just simply change the starting lineup again if he wanted to and, and see if that works. The tweak might not necessarily need to be major. Yeah, so do you anticipate that happening, or that we go status quo and just hope things get better? I, I, I don't think that's the case, because I think we even saw it last night where uh, George Nying lost his minutes in the second half, or at least for a stretch, to Emmanuel Moutier, and Juwan Morgan came in and played instead of Tony Bradley. I think Quinn Snyder's already recognized, hey, this isn't just scheme. It's not just effort, even though effort hasn't been right. great the last three games for stretches. It's, it's personnel. There, there's got to be some changes for certain matchups that, that require different players. I would, you, I would view those two, and we did see that. There's no question about that. But I would view those as minor. Do you view them as anything other than that? I agree. Those are minor. Uh, but maybe you shake up the starting lineup. I mean, maybe if the defense isn't good enough or you don't feel like you have a player that's stopping dribble penetration, you have to go back to Royce O'Neal in the starting lineup instead of Joe Ingles or instead of Mike Conley. You know, I think those are conversations you could certainly have as well. And I would suspect the first move would be to swap Royce and Joe Ingles. And, I, I'm, you know, I won't be surprised if we see that in the next game, if not, if not the next two games. Ben Anderson joining us. You hear him on Jazz pre, half, and post game. You know, most of the problems have been defensive, although we have heard from a lot of listeners uh, about the offensive issues. The only thing that jumps out at me offensively, the turnovers, and I try to recognize aggressiveness as part of the game, yada, yada, and trying to get too wound up about them. But when I see 18, 19 turnovers in a game, it's hard for me to ignore. How much are they a part of these defensive issues? They're big, and it's especially troubling when you have six at the half and you have 13 in the second half. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was a close game. It was 62-62, and we turned the ball over. And despite the fact that you weren't playing great, you were still in that game. 
and then you have 13 giveaways in, in you know one half of, uh, of basketball, and, and you're gonna you're just not gonna have an opportunity to win. So I think that's one problem. And then I think another problem, and I'll, I'll be curious what caused this. Were are they gun shy because they shot so poorly against the Houston Rockets that they stopped taking threes against the Phoenix Suns because they only attempted 26? Or does an opposing team playing that small lineup? sucker the jazz into thinking hey well we've got a size advantage so let's let's go down low and take advantage of that size and they really don't have a size advantage you know they, they really don't have an ability to exploit that so you get Boyan bogdanovich trying to put the ball on the floor to attack and get a you know a decent mid-range shot because he's bigger than his defender and all they do is poke the ball away because he dribbles the ball shoulder high sometimes you know is that part of the problem when really they just need to say hey instead of Dribbling in and turning the ball over on eight of those, what if we pull up for eight threes? And the difference is now we've taken 34 threes in that game instead of you've taken you know, 28 threes or 26 threes like they did last night. Does that change the game? Because instead of giving up these bigger runs, you break it by hitting a three. You break it because you know, you've got the best three-point shooting team in the NBA that should be capable of making some of those shots. And does that force the opposing team to adjust how they're playing defensively? I think that's a major problem for the Jazz right now, that they're just not taking enough threes, at least they didn't last night. Would you be surprised if it was Royce being inserted into the starting lineup for Conley? I would. I think moving Conley back to the bench would would be a drastic move, especially because I think some of the issues have been how difficult it's been to work him back in the lineup. You know, you didn't have him against San Antonio when I thought it would have been very helpful. Uh, and then you played him against Houston, and I think that was kind of a jarring change again just to get him back. And then last night they just didn't play well at all. Uh, but I don't necessarily think it was Mike Conley's fault, though he certainly didn't have a standout game. But other than Donovan Mitchell's high-scoring night, nobody really had a standout game. So I, I don't think it's Mike Conley still. I don't think that's the issue. And really, you haven't been getting a whole lot from Ingles over the last few games either. And, and, you know, I don't know if that's because they can't play together in the starting lineup, whether that's Conley or Ingles. I, I, you know, clearly there's some evidence that that might be the case. But I still think you probably default to keeping Conley in the lineup and moving Royce O'Neal back in. You know, I don't think it's that they can't play together. I don't think that's precisely it. I just think when you have three guys trying to initiate the offense, that's there aren't enough possessions for one guy. All three of those guys might be point guards. I think, I think Donovan Mitchell can initiate the offense, Joe Ingles can, and Mike Conley can. But the fact is, you don't need three guys. You need two because guys are off the floor, and sometimes you want to take advantage of a matchup. But when you get the third guy in there, it's going to take possessions away from somebody else. You just... You don't need three. I think that's the rub. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, it's not that Joe Eagles, you know, runs into some magic that exists out there that he can't play when Mike Conley's around him. You know, there's, there's nothing like that. But, yeah, I mean, their, their styles of play are probably far more similar than we think just because they look so much differently and their games are so much different. But their, their style of play and their rhythm is probably somewhat similar that they don't quite fit together with one another when they're on the floor. Because you're right, Mike Conley needs to be a little bit more ball-dominant, but so does Joe. You know, Joe runs a lot of no-pass possessions when he's playing point guard, where, where he's got Rudy Gobert as a roller as an option, but if, if they stick with Rudy Gobert, he gets an easy layup, but he never has to pass, and he can still be effective. Well, Ben, I think we fixed everything. <laughs> I, I won't be surprised if the Jazz play significantly better against Boston, not because of our conversation. I actually think because they play to the level of opposition and Boston will get their full attention, uh, it's actually good they're playing somebody who's a really good team. PK would rather see uh, Cleveland come in and come in shorthanded. Yeah, well, I mean, they both have their pluses. Cleveland would probably be a more likely victory, uh, but there's certainly some emotion still tied to this Gordon Hayward game. And, 
that team's embarrassed. I mean, the Jazz are embarrassed right now. They were. It took them 45 minutes at least to, to open up the locker room last night. You know, Quinn Snyder was very candid, I thought, and very earnest after the game. The team's not proud of how they're playing right now, and, and I, they know they can play better, and Jazz fans know they can play better. It's not like the talent got sucked out of the out of the lineup or out of that locker room. They're still very good. They're still very talented. They're flawed, but you know, now it comes back to uh, whether or not you have the uh, you know the, the competitiveness to fix it, and that's something Rudy Gobert talked about last night. Thanks, Ben. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Ben Anderson, Jazz pre-half and post-game.